Welcome to the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I'm Kyla Daw, and I'm glad you decided to join us on today's episode of the show that is shaping how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Rather than advice from experts, our listeners want to hear the insights and ideas from those who, just like them, are on the front lines every day, building meaningful relationships that translate into meaningful support for causes that they and their donors care about. Every week, we invite our guests to have a real conversation about what it means to be a fundraising professional. We're after a greater understanding of what it means to be one of the sector's critically important yet least understood roles, while giving honest answers to our profession's most difficult questions. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Here's your host, author, fundraiser, and master trainer, Jason Lewis. Hi, podcast listeners. My name is Jason Lewis, and I am your host for the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I do want to thank our sponsor, QBAC. There's a big difference between a solution that measures a fundraiser's performance and a solution that helps a fundraiser perform. QBAC helps fundraisers to excel at their most critical task, developing deep, meaningful relationships with donors and cultivating them into lifelong givers. Give your fundraisers a better qualified portfolio, one that considers more than just capacity and simple scoring. Your fundraisers will also get insights into the hearts, minds, and connections of their donors. Fundraisers have a tough job. Help them close bigger gifts in less time by going to www.qback.com to schedule a free demo. Podcast listeners, the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow is finally back on the schedule. We have several dates confirmed. Since 2014, our team has been providing high-quality one-day roadshows in partnership with nonprofit leaders who want to showcase their space and provide thought-provoking and highly interactive fundraising training in their nonprofit community. Our roadshows have been described by our guest as hands-down the best professional development experience that they have ever been a part of. This experience has been described as challenging assumptions with conversation-inspiring content and new ways of thinking. If you would like to register for one of the upcoming stops on the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow, just visit the link in the show notes. Hi, Brandy. I am delighted to have you with me on the Fundraising Talent Podcast today. It is 5 o'clock my time. It's 5 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. We're going to air this probably early next week. And then you and I are going to be in the room together as part of the lineup at the first Omaha Roadshow, at the first Responsive Fundraising Roadshow in Omaha. Uh, so I was like, we, Brandy, you and I have got to connect. So we did. That's where we're at today. Um, Brandy, you and I are going to have this conversation for the next 45 minutes. And then my wife and I are going out to dinner for probably the first time in, I don't know, probably years uh, to celebrate Valentine's Day a couple of days late. So um, I don't know what your plans are this evening or this weekend, but I'm sort of just looking forward to, to a nice dinner yeah. with my wife and not having to t- tag along my my, my children. Uh, my children are all now just old enough where they don't have to, uh, they don't really care. <laughs> they don't care. <laughs> You know, they're not even worried about it. The the two younger teenagers are just like, go grab pizza. And and so so anyway, Brandy, uh, before we dive into our conversation today and to get me to stop rambling, how about we just ask you to introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure, sure. My name is Brandy Hollis. I'm thrilled to be here and thrilled to meet you and um, have really found a lot of wisdom in your responsive fundraising model and what you do and love your podcast. So was super excited to get to connect with you and super excited to get to meet you and present with you 
in March here in Omaha. So there's uh, so much good philanthropy and social impact going on in Omaha, such a great community. And I don't think we get to sing our praises enough. So I'm excited that the roadshow will be here. Yeah. So what is it, before we dive into our big idea or bold opinion for the day, um, what is it that I need to know? The guy who's coming from out of town, uh, who's going to be speak, I, I get the, you know, they're going to let me sort of kick off the morning. Um, what does a guy like me, the outsider, need to know about Omaha before I, uh, you know, before you hand me the mic and say, uh, give us some, give us some great wisdom? Uh, what, what do I need to know? So when you think of Omaha, you first probably think of cows and corn <laughs> yeah. and maybe a football team. But what else do you th- is what else do you think of? Well, uh, uh, the 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 super rich guy, the. Warren Buffett, yeah, right? We think about uh, we think about how quickly can I? Yeah, how quickly can I get to Warren Buffett's house? Right. See, but that's not the question. Actually, once you once you've worked Omaha, it's not how do you get to Warren. It's how do you get to the other people associated how and who are early friends, investors? Right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, Mr. Buffett's a wonderful man. I don't know him personally. I'm not that important at all. Um, but his wealth has done so much for this community. And that's really the cool story of Omaha that I don't think a lot of people realize that so many of his early investors are so, so common and so quiet about their wealth. And they were able to get in on his big idea. And now they have all this wealth to share with the community and really make a difference. And so I think sometimes people think Omaha fly right over and they don't realize the amazing things and the amazing resources we have going on in our community. So that's definitely the first thing I would tell you. That's the first thing to know. So not taking Mr. Buffett out, but try to get to know uh, if if my advice is that we learn how to take people, because usually I'm Usually somewhere in my presentation is, is make sure that you know how to take people out to lunch. It's perhaps maybe not just Warren Buffett, but uh, perhaps his uh, echelon of friends and colleagues that he has managed to, uh, to help build wealth with. Exactly. And the other thing that's surprising about Warren is it's a well-known fact locally. He, he's not a fancy guy. He, you know, I, he sold his house recently. It was in like central Omaha, but very modest looking. And he was at a girl's ink lunch sitting at a table next to me several years ago. And they actually brought him a hamburger and fries from Broncos, which is a local like fast food joint around here. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like when we think about donor lunches and whining and dining, you know, in the Midwest, a lot of people are really common and you always want your donor to be comfortable where they're at. And so sometimes that might be getting a Bronco burger rather than getting a bougie steak. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was, that reminds me of, uh, I was doing, I was doing some, I was working on a capital campaign for a client in uh, Kingwood, Texas. uh, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago. And, um, and, and they had me fly up to Dallas before I headed home that week. And I had breakfast at the local Burger King um, on a Saturday morning in order to, to secure this gift that was uh, already pretty much in the bag. Um, the, you know, this, this donor was already, you know, in love with what the organization was doing and certainly a, a big advocate and supporter of what I was just there to enjoy a Burger King breakfast. And I'm kid- I'm not kidding when I say, I think we got, you know, whatever the biscuits are that they serve at Burger King. Um, but, but I always, I always sort of refer back to that and similar experiences where, 
you know, some of these donors uh, do live very modest. Um, they live very modest and, and sometimes, you know, you wouldn't even know they don't, they don't stand out. They don't kind of like the millionaire mind, the millionaire next door sort of books that we were reading at the beginning of our career. Yeah. So I, I mean, they definitely don't live like I do. (laughs) They're not worried about shoveling out their own driveway and taking out their trash when there's a foot of snow outside. Um, but, but yet I think that's important is just, um, people that have wealth often don't know the vehicle of how to make the difference and impact. And they really are looking to people like you and me and other major giving professionals to be trusted advisors and help them achieve their goals of making a difference and doing what they want to do. Um, but they're also looking at for, for expertise from us and our organizations. And they expect us to really do the hard miles and know, you know, like how much money are we going to need? What is this going to take and really have a good plan for them? So Brandy, we always ask our, our, our fundraisers to come on here with a big idea or bold opinion. Uh, I always, uh, I always say, don't tell me what it is. Keep me on my toes. Uh, that usually keeps me from, uh, hijacking the conversation and having more to say than I need to. So what do you, uh, what do you got for us today? For us, it's it's really, it feels kind of mundane, but it is a big idea. And it really is that idea of preparation and building that relationships and being willing to do new and groundbreaking things and not just doing the least and doing what we've always done before because it's convenient and easy. I, I fear sometimes the nonprofit world has uh, slipped into a mindset of, you know, either either like resource starvation of, oh, we're a nonprofit. Well, we have to make do with what we're going to do. We can't spend very much and we can't have the best of resources, which is really problematic when we're looking to solve the world's biggest problems. If if somebody from the business community is looking at that kind of model, they know there's something very wrong and it needs to be flipped on its head because if we're making social impact, we need to be able to make big and bold moves. Um, so I think, you know, that that's really part of it. And then the other part of it too is the, the pandemic's over. We've, we we're back to work. We're back to doing all the things now. And some people have even forgotten about what we've learned. Um, but we can't expect to do the same thing over and over and receive different results. You know, the days of fundraising events and luncheons and dinners, you know, you're going out to dinner with your wife for the first time in, in years, as you're saying, for Valentine's Day. Um, you know, we're all busy people, especially our donors. They're busier than we are. And nobody nobody has the time and nobody wants to come to these cheesy dinners and expect to have the money drug out of them at their events. So we we need to stop doing what we're doing and have some meaningful engagement. And I think many years ago, some really, really bad advice got put into our sector. It wasn't ill-intended, but we talked to people about doing fundraisers and fundraising events. Building relationships is absolutely the cornerstone of our work. You know that, and that is what your model teaches to in, fund, in responsive fundraising. Yeah, but that doesn't mean having a, a bad party. <laughs> uh, let, let's sit on that for a little while. What okay. is it... And I haven't posed this question to any of my uh, guests yet. We've talked about sort of the post the post pandemic reality and what the effects are, and we've certainly talked about. Um, but I think there's a sort of an existential sort of experience that's going on within our society as as a whole, where we're all sort of reexamining to your point what matters and what we really want to sort of commit time and resources and energy to. 
Um, and I think you're exactly right. I think the galas and the golf tournaments and the myriad of other ways, sort of the ways that sort of perhaps overcomplicated the giving process, um, almost like to go back to my Burger King breakfast example, some of, some of our donors are just like, you know, meet me at the local Burger King, uh, you know, make a decent proposal, assure me of, that you're going to do what you say you're going to do, and don't go through all the pomp and circumstance. You know, I don't think we've had that conversation yet about capital campaigns, for example. I think you're exactly right that the galas and the golf tournaments, we're going to unplug those. But when are we going to get to the point where we say that the, you know, the capital campaigns, that all the pomp and circumstance that go into those are, are sort of we've sort of overplayed that too because um, I don't know that and I'm not hearing that but you but, but I, I think you're exactly right I think our donors I think I think those of us on both sides of the gift exchange are saying perhaps we need to sort of clear the plate of some of the unnecessaries am I right yeah, and I think I'll have a case study for you, hopefully in a year, on the capital campaign side oh, of that. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. I yeah, so so yeah. interesting interesting thing. Um, I started a new position as vice president of advancement for uh, a private high school in August. Yeah. And they have an academic wing that hasn't been renovated since about 1968 when the school was built. Yeah. So uh, one of my first tasks in the position was to look at all, you know, all the consultant reports that had been done in the past. All you know, the, it's a religious organization, so the archdiocese had paid for some consultants as well. So there were reports upon reports, and I have a background in consulting as well. So uh, looking at everything, uh, what we put together actually was an internal feasibility study. We were uniquely positioned uh, for this because the president had only been in his job about a year. I was brand new. Um, so we conducted, we basically did kind of a, an environmental scan of everything that had been said before and validated that with donors and made some comments. And then we have uh, done the implementation phase and we're actually working through that with our board. And I think we are taking some of that out of it and really getting down to, you know, we still need renderings. We need vision. You know, there has to be a video, but we're doing it. I feel like we're doing it very authentically and simply, and it's really giving us that opportunity to go to major donors that haven't been so engaged and say, here we are. You know, we've all said this project needs to be done for many years. It's time to do it. Here's our business plan. What are your thoughts? And so hopefully I'll have a successful campaign and in a year, year and a half and be able to come back to you and say, this this is how you do it. Yeah, Um, I I, I think that, and that hasn't been something that I've, pondered as it relates to the idea of, you know, you sort of have on the front end of fun, on the sort of fundraising spectrum, the things that I tend to pick on are galas and golf tournaments at the one end um, and, and the capital campaigns on the other. And to your point, the idea that pre pandemic, we were all getting exhausted with both ends. We were tired of these things. They were all sort of showing signs of wear. That's that's sort of the, uh, perhaps that's the emerging theme of this conversation, that that they were both showing signs of, um, uh, of, of the donor's sort of lack of responsiveness and interest in doing these things. But I think the other thing that it was showing, and this is the, this is very consistent with what I'm hearing you describe. They, they were both, both ends of that sort of spectrum were showing signs of we're still not letting the perfectly capable employees on the payroll shine. If that may, right. We weren't creating like what you just described was people on the payroll, people in in house 
who are perfectly capable of looking at data, buying lunch with donors, and orchestrating some really great things. And and I think I think too many of us people in my posture, for example, are flying in and sort of getting the pats on the back and getting the getting the applause for doing things that people like yourself, who are the full time employees and the rest of your team, capable of doing. Am I right? You, you know, that's a complicated answer. I, I think uh, there's there's many things in there. You're going to answer that safely for us. <laughs> you know, and I have to I have to ride that fence carefully because I used to be a consultant. Uh, went back to to in house fundraising. You can come consult with our team, and you won't have any problem with that. So. All right, perfect, <laughs> perfect. I'll take you up on that uh, once I finish this campaign for sure. Uh, but you, you know, I think it's a blended model. Not every in house person is going to have the expertise. Um, but it's also like I found it's been an interesting dance with with this board of directors. Um, and there's times where as staff, we we've tended to take cover. I'll be really frank. And, you know, it's sometimes having a difficult conversation with a donor is, is not easy. And it's easier to just say, well, I'm just going to do what the donor is going to do instead of stopping and asserting ourselves and saying, like, this is what what the school needs. This is what the organization needs. This is the critical path to get here. This is this is where I need you. And let's come together on this. So it's been um, I would say my last six months, there's been a lot of courageous conversations. And sometimes I've had my not so courageous moments and, and board members have had to tell me, no, I, this is what I want from you. We want to move things forward. And I've had to be unafraid of consequences. Um, but I think it has made a, made a deeper field, but it does, it, it bears to the question because there has been so much turnover in our in- industry of fundraisers. Like not everybody is skilled enough to, to have these interactions. And then retaining that person can be really difficult because once you get to this level, if you are having your people in-house shine, you, you need to be able to retain them and they need to be able to have these difficult conversations. If a donor doesn't like something that's going on or doesn't understand it, you want them to bring it to you and they need to be able to be in that moment and have that conversation. And I've had those and it's not easy. But how much of that, maybe that's the, maybe that's the theme of the conversation. How much of that is some of the, because I remember being in the midst of the pandemic and having conversations here on the podcast with fundraisers who seemingly were sort of, they were, it was an awakening of the fact that there were practices that their employers had sort of embraced and, and, and were invested in that were not really readying them, had not, had not historic, were not in the moment helping them get the job done. And when you use a word like courage, for example, I'm thinking, okay, this is a fundraiser who has, who has alongside her organization developed the muscles to know that we can do this. And sometimes being afraid and in the moment, you know, not relying on the outside guru to come in and necessarily take all the scariness away is, is part of that journey. Um, you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, and it, it really is about support. You know, it's about that board having an absolute relationship of support of the leader of the organization and then seeing that, whether it's a vice president or chief development officer, whoever that is being that that, that president or chief officers kind of partner in the business plan and having that respect for them and being able to have those relationships. So, I mean, it really does, it comes down to, 
Like, do you pick a job by the job description or do you pick a job by the manager? You know, I've absolutely learned through my career. It's you pick a job by the people you're around, your manager and the team you're allowed to build. Um, but it's, let's, it's let's go back to easy. your, let, let's go back to your, cause we are, let's go back to your Galas and golf tournament sort of comment. And, to, and let's sit on that, that idea, the, uh, the, the, the board's responsiveness to the advice of, of the fundraiser, for example, do you think in sort of this post pandemic sort of environment now having had perhaps a lot of their assumptions, the boards and the bosses assumptions sort of shaken up? And perhaps not having had their, um, you know, a, you know, their, their, they realized, hey, maybe these ideas didn't pan out like we thought. Perhaps they will sort of let fundraisers sort of rise to the challenge. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I think we have an opportunity, and we have to grab it. That we have to be able to be willing to stand up and say the advice you received prior pandemic or or the 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 lack of responsiveness you were feeling from the donors was absolutely incorrect. Uh, I think the world has given us this opportunity as fundraisers that we do need to be confident and stand in our ground and make those recommendations. And we need to be able to absolutely and clearly call out that past recommendations were unfounded or incorrect. Um, we know that deep relationships are so important, but deep relationships are not really built at a cocktail party. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I remember, I remember thick in the, in the pandemic, probably June or July of 2020, I was having a conversation with, um, and I've, I've referred to this a couple of times. There were two conversations I had. One was with Stephen at Bloomerang and he was telling me that we were tracking, Bloomerang was tracking an, a, a, a dramatic increase in the number of phone calls, which to me means people. And and the other thing he was saying, he said donors were calling, donors were calling us back. So it wasn't just Brandy reaching out to the donor; it was also the donor calling Brandy back and actually engaging in meaningful conversations. And then I had a similar, uh, just a brief encounter with the development officer. I want to say uh, in New York City. Uh, who was basically saying the same thing that they were enjoying phone conversations, just simple, you know, no cocktail parties, no galas and golf tournaments. Quite, quite frankly, we can't do them, but not even, uh, not even a lot of soliciting. It wasn't, if you remember during that, during that sort of that pandemic story, we weren't talking about, you know, this hard, uh, you know, when are we going to make the ask? It was just meaningful engagement with people on both sides of the charitable gift exchange. You follow, you remember that? Yes, it was, it yes. wasn't, it was just you being a human being on the receiving end and a donor on the giving end. And, and we weren't sitting there sort of overthinking, you know, all the, all the, the wonky wonk as I would call it, that you could sort of put in the process that, presumably could sort of make it all work faster, more efficiently, more predictably, et cetera, et cetera. I remember during the pandemic picking up a new email signature line and it was take care. And and that's exactly what it was because you didn't know when you called a donor, like had they been sick, had somebody in their family been sick, how how affected had they been? Had their business been profoundly impacted? Was life, you know, totally pretty much normal, just more isolated for them? And so I do remember the the beauty of that 
and that we were having the real human conversations and saying like, oh, you know, like, have you been able to see your kids? Are you, or, you know, have you started Zooming with your kids and you're seeing your grandkids more actually? Yeah. And all those things. And I just remember thinking as I typed that signature out, the take care, I was like, that's really, really beautiful that we we got to this point, even though a pandemic was a horrible place to be. Yeah, I remember thinking we're going to come out on the other side of this. There was probably a number of conversations I had where I thought people are going to realize that the, 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 the individuals on the other side of the exchange are human beings and that's all we really need to understand ourselves to be that um, uh, and, and this loops back even to where we started at the beginning of the conversation about Mr. Buffett, you know, just understanding that these individuals, regardless of the size of their checkbooks um, or their or the checks that they're capable of writing, um, uh, they're all human. We're all human beings at the end of the day. You know, and, and you did mention earlier in the conversation too the whole realizing what's really important. Yeah. And I think that is that is the shift that's happened to our world, regardless of the debate of who's in office, who's working remote, you know, is remote work legit? You know, let's not even get into the weeds of that. We just had a big snowstorm in Omaha. So uh, I'm very grateful for the ability to to remote in myself, because when I look at it, like what's really important in life, it's not, you know, it's not important enough in my life for me to spend two hours driving across town in my Prius and getting high centered and endangering my life and others. It, it's really to be able to do this. And, you know, I think just, just so overall, not just remote work, but even looking at, you know, family members that were sick. Um, I, I had COVID during the pandemic, even though I was vaccinated, I have some medical conditions. I ended up receiving monoclonal antibodies and did fine, but, but it really did in so many ways make me focus on what's important. And even though I have a lot of talents and skills and event planning and can talk a lot about of experience to it, you know, my, my preference is absolutely to talk to a donor about their passions and how the organization and them can be a good match. Or if we aren't a good match, finding them that match. Yeah. 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 Well, Brandy, we lose our listeners about 40 minutes in and I want to spend at least a few minutes because we've got we've got about five minutes left before we sort of cross that line where people will give up on us. And I don't want to lose the opportunity to talk about the upcoming event. Um, You're part of the lineup. And uh, I'm just curious if you've had given it some thought. uh, Don't don't want to let you give away the show here. uh, But uh, have you given it much thought about what you're going to perhaps talk to us about? Yeah, what I'm, what I'm going to talk about is let's have a conversation about how we structure these major gift asks. First of all, like you said, how do we get the meeting? We yeah. are in a great place where our donors are calling us back and those things weren't happening just a few years ago. Um, but if your donors aren't calling you back or if they're just really busy people, um, we're going to talk. Kevin and I are working through some strategies to, to address like how do you get that meeting? How, how do you make this easy? You know, I don't think donors are intentionally dodging us most of the time. It's just the fact that we're all really busy. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit to that. I also want to talk about how we prepare for major gift um, asks meetings. We always want to be authentic and we want to be candid. Um, but I think preparation is an important ingredient to success. So I've developed an outline and I want to share that. And then I want to talk a little bit more about what we're doing in this world. I mean, I know even the question in our sector, like, what do we even wear for these major gift meetings? You know, and some of them might be over a Bronco burger. Some of them might be over a nice steak. And, you know, like, what is the preparation that goes into this? And um, 
and and how are we how are we going into this confident and prepared so that our donor knows that our priorities are to maximize the funds that they are giving to our organizations and our causes. Oh, that's an interesting conversation. You know, I have, um, I have very rarely uh, shown up with a client, for example, when I wasn't wearing a pair of jeans in my boots, for example, I've just never been a, I don't wear a suit. I, I don't, I think, I don't even know that I own a suit anymore. And the khakis that I buy, usually they don't fit very well for a big fella like me. So usually I'm wearing a pair of comfortable jeans, but I, that's interesting. So Brandy, you're essentially saying that we need, and, and, and we're hearing that conversation, you know, de- definitions of professionalism and, and who's, you know, who's expected to look, look and wear and dress like what, but you're saying that we need to start having that conversation when it comes to external constituents, when it comes to, you know, when we're out, out in the field, again, having lunch, yes, have, sharing yeah. a Bronco burger, uh, but, 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 but I think that's a good reminder. I and mean, this is perhaps what we're going to unravel in your talk, but I, I think, I don't think I've. I can very rarely think of donors who gave me any signal that they even gave a damn about what I was wearing. And, and, and that's what I want to sort of <laughs> you know unravel. What I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's what I want to sort of unravel. I don't think the suit is that important, yeah. but I think, you know, we we need we need to have a high level of care and preparation going into it. And if we're prepared for the meeting, whether you're wearing jeans and a put together jacket or pants really isn't going to yeah. matter. It's the fact that you have prepared and have things ready. So, so yeah, I think we need to talk about that because there are times where, you know, we'll, we'll prepare and we'll be like, are we wearing suits? No, we're not wearing suits. This isn't a suit donor. Um, but, but like, what is the norm here? And, and let's have that conversation. I know, you know, like when I was beginning my career, you know, it was very much like you dressed, if you worked in, in fundraising, you dressed like a funeral, <laughs> you dressed like you ran a funeral home or you were um, a very conservative financial planner. You know, you covered everything to your neck um, if you were a woman. And I think there's still a certain professionalism and decorum you want to think about. And, you know, it's kind of like, I guess how I put it is if I were uh, trying, if I, there was somebody I really, really, really liked, say I was dating somebody and really, really liked them and really wanted to impress their mother, but I knew their mother was a little conservative or a little stick in the mud, you know, like what would I wear to impress her um, and default to that. So I, I always think, you know, like that's always my default with donors, but as you get to know them better, like, yeah, I think most of them don't really care, but they do want to know that you've prepared and, um, you know, they want, want to know that you're listening and that you care about them as a human being and they learn and care about you along the way as well. Yeah. Uh, Brandy, I am, uh, I've already, uh, just, just 40 minutes worth of conversation know that you and I are going to sync up pretty well. I'm really looking forward to, I'm grateful for the opportunity to kick off the day and I'm glad that you're going to be, uh, come in and, and, and follow some of the things that I'm going to tee the day up with. Um, as a matter of, uh, a reminder for our listeners, anybody who's in the Omaha area, Brandy, the event is being hosted, um, uh, this is the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow. 
uh, nonprofit association in the Midlands at the Mastercraft building. Is that a, uh, is the Mastercraft building somewhere? Is that the center of town or where is that? Um, Mastercraft is in kind of the, the North Omaha area. So it's yeah. just North of downtown, um, really cool area of town. And there's been a lot of philanthropic investors that have really, really cared about that area of the community and making it into a maker or artist or entrepreneurial district. Um, so honestly, there's been a lot of construction since I've been down there. Uh, and I'm super excited to see it. But uh, NAM, our nonprofit association in the Midlands, has just really been a good uniting force for us. Um, and I've been you know, pleased to be part of their events. So certainly would encourage anyone that wants to, to hear more about fundraising or is wondering, you know, like, like what does my development or advancement shop need, you know, to, to come to the presentation and check it out. You know, there might not be every question you have answered that day, but I think we'll open up some conversations and you'll be able to ask some questions that you can really start looking at, you know, like what are the next steps for your team? You know, not only what does your team need, but I, I hope we start opening up that dialogue more between boards and staff about how do we start having those conversations together and how do we, you know, harness the relationships of our board members to, to move our donors forward as well. Yeah, I'm looking at the registration. It looks like registration is already sort of surpassing where we even expected. Usually, expect these things to be two weeks out. So I'm really that that's exciting to see. So for uh, for anyone who's interested in attending, um, as Brandy just said, this is being hosted by the nonprofit association of the Midlands. This is the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow. Our first stop is in Omaha, the Mastercraft Building. Brandy and I, as well as Nancy, who was on the podcast about two weeks ago. Um, and, and some other folks in the community are, are part of the lineup. Uh, Brandy, it has certainly been a pleasure to have you here on the podcast with me today. Uh, you've certainly got my enthusiasm warmed up. Um, I don't know what your plans are for the weekend, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, say that you're always welcome back and I'm going to go enjoy a, 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 a late Valentine's dinner with my wife. Awesome. Awesome. I hope you enjoy that. I have a, a friend in town from Kentucky that she uh, she and her husband just adopted a baby. And so they're bringing the little babe back and she messaged that uh, babe's having a meltdown. So I'm going to pick up some pizza and meet her at her hotel. Um, but I haven't met her, seen her in years. So it'll be good to see her this weekend. And then we actually have an event for work Saturday night. It's a, a trivia event, you know, again, like you know, and maybe during our presentation, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about this bake sale. It's not a bake sale. It's philanthropy angle. Like, I hate to discourage people getting together, playing trivia and raising $25,000 because that's what's happening Saturday night. Um, but yet it just has to be combined with so many other major giving activities. Certainly been a pleasure. You're always welcome back. Have you read the book that nonprofit leaders and fundraising professionals alike are calling a must read? In this pocket manifesto for today's fundraising professional, Jason deconstructs why many of us find ourselves working for organizations where we cannot accomplish our goals. These same organizations are notorious for rapid turnover and high donor attrition. To avoid this all too familiar path, Jason offers direction from those who want to be recognized and admired for their work. The war for fundraising talent challenges our ingrained beliefs and assumptions about how effective fundraising really works, and it questions the prevailing wisdom hiring decisions and donor behavior. Published by Gatekeepers Press, The War for Fundraising Talent is now available on Amazon and other major retailers. 
We want to thank you for listening to today's episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show and hope you will come back for next week's interview, where we will discuss with those on the front line who are defining what it means to be a fundraising professional. If you'd like to be a guest on the Fundraising Talent Podcast, visit our Facebook page or email Jason at jason at lewisfundraising.com. In your email, be sure to tell us about where you work and why you believe you would be a great addition to the upcoming lineup. Thank you again for joining us today, and we look forward to you being a part of the continuing conversation as we shape how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent.